today we're going to pick up the fifth uh, part here. We've come through four lessons about spiritual growth, and uh, it's, I don't want it to be so clerical, but you've got to have a, some degree of clarity. You've got to have some, uh, some teaching along the way. You know, can't all be just get up and uh, take a verse and take a fit amount, but uh, this has been a good study. At least it has been for me, and uh, it's, not just, uh, it's not just a clerical uh, how to get there. You know what I mean? This isn't a seminar of how you can become important. <laughs> it's hopefully, if nothing else, it helps you to understand that you and I need to grow spiritually. When you're born again, that's the start. Amen. And from there, you can only go forward. <laughs> Amen. So uh, <clears throat> the first stage, of course, as you know, and we've already covered, and I'll just, I'm not going to reteach and preach all the stages, but you know the first stage there. Uh, the first stage, uh, what's the first stage? Right, duh, right? I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't get any smaller than that. And the uh, Bible says, uh, wish you not that you must be born again. So, uh, and we picked that up there in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul, he uh, loved the Corinthians. He won most of them to Christ, and he wanted to feed them uh, with a little bit you know, better food than baby food, but he couldn't do it. And even when he's talking, I'm like, look, I couldn't feed you with meat. I had to feed you with milk. And by the way, I still can't feed you the way I want to feed you. And uh, the second stage we uh, went through was little children. Little children. You know, red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in a sight. I suppose if you sang that today, uh, you'd be racist or something. But anyways, <laughs> 1 John uh, chapter 2, what is that, 11 we said there. And the third stage of spiritual growth, uh, just obviously uh, spiritually speaking, is simply children. And we picked that, uh, we jumped off that thing in Galatians chapter 4, verse 27. Uh, the fourth one was young men. Young men. And the concept is this if you're saved, you ought to be striving to grow uh, not only closer to the Lord, but you ought to be growing more and more each day. And that's 1 John chapter 2. Uh, thank you. And that's where we want to pick it back up today because we've come all the way this far to this thing called fathers. Now listen, let's make it very clear. We're not talking about fathers in a religious sense. Uh, we're not going to teach about how you need to go put on a black uh, robe and put your collar on backwards. Amen? We're not talking about that at all. But in the sense of spiritual growth, spiritual growth, but before we get in it, let's pray. Father, we love you. We're sure thank you for Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for these people who have ventured, some of them, a long distance. And some people have come 30, 40, 50 miles uh, on the backside of nowhere here, Lord. And Father, for whatever reason, you have seen fit to keep us a small crowd, and we thank you for it. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to learn from the Word of God tonight. Lord, would you teach me, Lord? I might be the one, the mouthpiece, but Lord, I need to learn, and I need to grow. And uh, Lord, I know this, if we don't grow... We get stuck in a rut. And Father, we don't want to do that. We want to please you. Help us at this hour, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this stage here, uh, we're going to talk about fathers. And uh, the Bible says here in 1 John chapter 2, if you're already there, 13 and 14, he says, I write unto you, fathers, uh, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. 
And then he says the thing over again in 14, I have written unto you, it's past tense, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. All right, so what I see here, I see just a couple things tonight, uh, probably three or four of them, and uh, some things about fathers in the spiritual stage of growth. You see here, and you can deduce or deduct, that's just a fancy way of saying you can draw from the text that, uh, that these uh, fathers, they're to be commended because they've attained a full growth. They've, they've, they've attained a full understanding of him in this stage of spiritual growth. I'll say it again. Uh, these fathers, they've been at it a while. They've been saved a while. And they've attained a full knowledge of him. And, uh, and that's to be commended. Think about it for a second. If you've been saved a while and you've been continually growing and you keep growing, you get to the stage where you have a full understanding of Him. Now there's a lot of Christians, especially Christians that go to church, and I'm not trying to be vague and I'm not trying to throw shots over the bow. That's not how I preach. You know that. But there's a lot of people today in the church house that have been there a long time and the only thing that is aged is their backside. They come to church, and they're there, but they're not there. <laughs> We're talking about a man, uh, spiritually speaking, could be a woman as well, who's been at it a long time, not just saved a long time, but has been continually and steadily growing. And because you've been at it a while, and you've been continually growing, and I'm not talking about you get saved and then you don't do anything for 25, 30 years. We're not talking about that talking about someone who has a full understanding of him, and that's to be commended. And that stuff takes time, doesn't it? It does. It takes time. And in our instant generation, that's hard to understand. Everything in this world that you and I live at has a fast-track capacity. Let's become a millionaire overnight. You know what I say anymore at 47 years young? Let's just get eight hours of sleep. Because that ain't happening. You know it. <laughs> okay, some of you can relate. Some of you are like, I just go to sleep and good luck getting me up. Amen. <clears throat> but I want to tell you, when it comes to being a father spiritually, spiritually speaking, in your stage of growth, you're to be commended. It's commendable. Why? A full understanding of him. You don't get that in a four-year program. You don't get that from going to Sunday school for 10 years. But it's a good start, isn't it? Because let me tell you what, I remember I was raised in a Christian home and I knew a good deal about the Bible. I could recite the books of the Bible. I could uh, oh, probably graduate from college. I could easily quote 100 verses. And it should be 10 times that now. It should be. And if it's not, that's my fault. Memory works as a use it or lose it. But these fathers, they've attained a full understanding of him through full years of service through many, many years, and that's commendable. That's to be commended. The uh, Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, 8, a man shall be commended according to his wisdom. You know what happens generally in the local church these days? I'll be straight with you. I'm not always sarcastic, but I'll use a little bit of humor to try to keep you awake. What happens in a lot of independent fundamental Baptist churches, people are commended because they're businessmen. It shouldn't be. I don't care whether you're a businessman or not. You ain't going to do nothing in this church unless you love the Lord. Amen. <laughs> We're doing all right? <laughs> amen. I don't care if you're a millionaire. I don't care. Well, if you are, we should talk. No, just kidding. But, amen. <laughs> but uh, I don't care if you're a successful businessman. I don't care if you got degrees on the end of your name. You love the Lord. 
Are you wanting to grow? That's what matters. And when it comes to this spiritual stage of growth, you can see you, you're no longer a babe. You're no longer little children. You're no longer a child. You're no longer a young man. Now you've got some, uh, you're not green around the ears anymore, right? You've been around the, you've been around the, the block a few times. You've had your block knocked off a few, I, I reckon. And you're, but you're still learning. See, there's this idea in Christianity today that because I'm uh, up there in age, that means everybody should kowtow to me. Baloney. There are some young people, on, and we probably got some in our church, there are some young people that are farther ahead than older people. You say, what is that? Someone trying to grow. Someone trying to stay in love with the Lord. Someone trying to do something with their life. So age is not always relative to spiritual growth, and I think you've got a good understanding of that, amen? Uh, you can, you, some people grow faster than others. Let's face it, some of you are put in a position that you should be growing faster than others. Some people don't have the upbringing. If you were raised in a home that loved the Lord, shame on you if you're not growing. Amen. But why is it that you often see people that don't have the best of upbringing, they seem to be the ones a little bit more zealous for Jesus Christ. I reckon it's because they realize that they have, the Lord's been really more merciful to them than maybe someone who grew up in a Christian home and hasn't done anything real bad yet, right? But we're talking about fathers, and they're to be commended because they have a full understanding, they have, they have full, a full understanding of Him, and that's to be commended. And uh, like I said, we're not talking about this Catholic perverted term, father as a religious leader. Uh, for Matthew 23, 9, says, Call no man your father, but that which is in heaven. You see what I mean? But we're talking about the spiritual stage of growth that John refers to. All right? <clears throat> now we're studying spiritual growth, and this uh, thing as you get to the word fathers, they have a full understanding of him. And like I said, that comes through years of service, uh, not a four-year program. Uh, and this world that you and I lived in, and I'll get off this thing in a minute, but they have told you that all you need to know in life can be accomplished in four to six years. That's not true at all. You might get a basis and an education that will empower you to provide so you can learn as you go forward. Amen? But you know what I knew when I got out of college? I knew I had a, I had a degree. And I didn't know anymore what I wanted to do when I got out of college than when I went into college. Matter of fact, I was so upside down. You say, well, me, when I got, okay, well, you're the exception, man. When I got out of college, my head was in a different place, man. <laughs> and we won't talk about it from the pulpit. But that, uh, that father, he's to be commended because he has a full knowledge of him. And something else about the spiritual stage of growth. A uh, father is a spiritual man who passes down things to spiritual children. I'll say it again. When it comes to being a father, spiritually speaking, uh, you have the ability to pass things down to spiritual children. You have the ability to pass things down to somebody else. You have the ability, God's given you the ability. You've grown to the place where you're able to disseminate the right things. Now you're given off instruction. Now you're given off spiritual instruction. It's not just, this is how you build a house. This is how you put it in a window. This is how you paint the fence up, down. This is how you, whatever. You know what I'm saying? We're not talking. Now life skills are important. I wish I'd learned more life skills before I got become an adult. You say, what were you good at? I don't know, making burgers and selling things. <laughs> but ask my wife. I couldn't have fixed anything in my house to save my life, and it shows. 
I'd have my dad come along later when I was about 30-something here. Will you fix my house? It's a train wreck. All right, but fathers, uh, spiritually speaking, they're able to disseminate information. Uh, look at 1 Peter 1. Turn a little bit of Scripture tonight. Try to help you get you thinking about growth. That's what I really want you to think about. I want you to think this thought. You, you shouldn't be comfortable where you're at spiritually, but you should be content with where God has you physically. Does that make any sense? You should never be content with your spiritual growth in Jesus Christ, but by all means, enjoy every day of it. 1 Peter 1.8, the Bible says, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. Not talking about what you speak, that's your way of living. He says, Received by tradition from your fathers. I'm using that verse to show you that fathers are the ones that pass on traditions, aren't they? I just want you to capture that idea. A father is someone who passes things down to their children, good or bad, right? You say, well, I had a dad and he wasn't much. Okay, well, you still learned something. You learned what not to do. <laughs> okay, he might not have had Father of the Year award, right? But you did learn from him, right? He passed some things down. Amen? So you get rid of the heartburn and you hold on to the good, right? Look, everything your parents did wasn't wrong. <laughs> Most of it was right. They just didn't have much to work with with you, amen? <laughs> but uh, a father is one who passes things down to children and traditions are passed on. And you know what Paul, the Apostle Paul did? He was one that passed on biblical traditions. Paul was a father. He passed on biblical traditions. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. A spiritual father is one who has the ability now because of his growth in Jesus Christ to pass on some biblical traditions. You see, in th these stages right here, you know what you're doing? You're learning what in the fire those traditions are. And by the time here, by the time you become a young man spiritually, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be getting excited about some of them traditions. You ought to get excited like a good tradition is going to work. You ought to get excited that God's given you the ability to go to work. I didn't say you loved your job. I'm just saying you're excited that God's given you the breath, He's given you the strength, He's given you the understanding, He's given you the reason to go in and work. That's a good tradition. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Therefore, brethren, he says, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught. I'm not talking about these godless traditions of the Catholic Church, you know, fee, fi, fo, fa, meeny, meeny, mighty, mo, you know, and all that stuff. But biblical traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or epistle. That either, it's either in the Bible or that preacher, Paul, he preached it and you need to hang on to it. Now, not only are traditions passed down, but fathers pass things down spiritually to the children, don't they? Fathers pass things down spiritually. Look, not only did your physical fathers tell you how to get up and fold your pants and put them on the hanger, and you better have your room clean, and you better do this, and you better wash behind your ears, but then they gave you some instruction when it comes to doing things, didn't they? And a spiritual father, he's one that can pass on some spiritual instruction. you got to remember that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And if you're in that stage of growth where you have the ability to father children, we'll actually get to that later, then you're going to have to take up for them and give them some instruction. That's that spiritual stage. But uh, fathers pass things down spiritually to their children, just like Paul did to Timothy. Just like Paul did to Timothy. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Now here's something that's interesting when you see uh, where Paul's at 
when he's talking to Timothy, Paul has definitely passed something down to Timothy. Paul not only led Timothy to the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, but he's, now, he's, he's stuck with Timothy. He's given him the traditions. He's passed on instruction. Now look at this in 14, 1 Timothy 4, 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of, hand, of the hands of the presbytery. You see that? Now look at 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. You see that passing down? It's right in those two verses. Now this is a little bit different passing down than just a spiritual instruction. This is a laying on of hands. You say, well, I preach you're getting a little bit spooky now. You're getting a little bit charismatic, a little bit charismatic. No, I'm talking about when a man is called to preach, when a man, man, is called to preach, he needs to be ordained. And when he's ordained, the biblical way of ordination is you get other men that are uh, preachers of the gospel ministry who have been called, who have been ordained and sent out of a local Bible-believing church, and you you ordain that young man. And then when you do that, you put your hands on him. You say, why? Did you read the verse? Something got passed. I'm not talking about the COVID either. I'm talking about something got passed on by the laying on of hands. Um. That was Paul and other men laying their hands on Timothy and ordaining him to the gospel. You see that father-like aspect there? And and when Paul did that, something transferred to Timothy. And later, you know what you find out? He's got the gift of prophecy. And I'm not talking about some, you know, Ostelishandi. I'm talking about he got something when he got ordained. I'll tell you what, when I was ordained, there's eight men that put their hands on me. I wish about six of them didn't, but I wasn't in charge. (laughs) But they didn't put their hands on me. All their names are on that uh, 25-cent certificate in my office. You say, what happened? Something took place. You asked my family. I mean, I was rough as uh, rough could be, but after I was ordained to the gospel ministry, something clicked. And I know, I know God enables a man once he calls him, he puts him in the ministry. God, there's an enabling process. But I'm telling you right now, something, something moved between the hands of them men and my head and my back, <laughs> and uh, something was passed down. That's the job of a spiritual father, the passing down. And uh, that's why, if you look at First Timothy 5 now, look at this, you're right there. Go one chapter over. There's something passed down. That's why Paul warns in First Timothy 5.22, lay hands suddenly on no man. That's not talking about taking some guy by the throat and beating his head up against the wall. He says, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. You say, what in the world does that mean? You don't be in a hurry to ordain a fellow. He's got to prove himself. It was 18 years sitting under my preacher, and I was called to preach the day I walked in there. It was 18 years, and then he didn't ordain me until this church called me to be their pastor. You say, why so long? Well, you knew me, you'd probably understand why. <laughs> but you just don't do it all of a sudden. You don't like wake up one morning, get a feather in your ear, and go, oh, I'm going to get ordained. <laughs> you got to prove yourself. Amen? Because when you put your hands on him, something transfers. Yes, but you know what also transfers? Now, if I go out here in the community, uh, back here in 2015 when I got ordained, if I went out a year later and just acted like a complete fool and a jackrabbit and did something stupid and got caught up with a scandal involved in sin, you know who would have been a part of that? Every single man that put their hand on me. You see that? That's why Paul says, lay hands suddenly on no man. 
he says, be not partaker of other men's sin. Because once you put your hands on them and you pass that thing down, now you become a part of the mess. He says, keep thyself pure. So, Father, I'm just saying, fathers pass things down spiritually to their children, just like Paul did to Timothy, number one, and just like Paul did to Titus. Look at Titus 1.5. I'll show you this. He passed things down to Timothy. He passed things down to Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. And that's the job of a father. The job of a father is to pass down biblical traditions. The job of a spiritual father is to pass things down spiritually. He's now in the place and position where he's discipling his converts. He's helping them out, and he's passing things on to them. Uh, from Titus chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> he's talking to Titus. He says, For this cause, verse 5, left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. So he's in Crete. And Crete's got, uh, they've got some issues in Crete, the church there. He says, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So Titus, he was, uh, he was also ordained. And Paul said, you've got to get things in order because uh, what I did to you, you need to get in the position you can do that to other men. All right? So Paul passed things on to Timothy. And he, Paul passed things on to Titus. Why? He was spiritually speaking in his stage of growth. He was a father. He took, he took up for those young men that he uh, led to Christ. And uh, traditions are passed down. Not only traditions, but instructions are passed down. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Amen. So fathers are supposed to give the instruction. And then mama, she carries out the law. <laughs> she says, paint the grass, you say, how green. Oh, that's how that thing goes. And uh, now here's another thing might be a little bit more obvious about uh, this stage of growth. Uh, the first one we said uh, they've attained a full knowledge of him after many years of service. The second thing is the spiritual father, he passes things on to his spiritual children. But number three, this thing about being uh, a spiritual father is obviously he has the ability to father children. Uh, I know it sounds simple, but you can't be a father unless you father and children, Right? That's why when you get to this stage of growth, it can be dangerous at times because young men, they're always trying to prove themselves to be a man. And in today's world, you know how young men try to prove themselves to be a man. They go, they go with a gal and they get her pregnant. But a father is one who's got a wife. There's a mother in there. You see that? All right, so a father is one. He's developed spiritually the place where he is now able to produce fruit. They fathered children spiritually. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Really not trying to make more of it than it is. I just want to show you this stuff and move on. But Philippians, there's some great admonition and great teaching and just some good principles. Hopefully I can, can communicate it without being too goofy about it. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, look what he says, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Isn't that the wildest thing? Why would you call someone your crown? Well, that has to do with the soul winner's crown. He's talking to the Philippians, and you know what he did? The Philippians are Paul's spiritual children. He went to the city of Philippi. He started a church, right? Now he's written an epistle to the Philippians, and he is Paul has spiritual children. He has the ability to go in to a place... He has an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and through the relationship he has with the intimacy of Jesus Christ, he's able to father children. He's able to bear fruit. 
Uh, and that, those are Paul's spiritual children, the Philippians. And just like the Thessalonians, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Not just the Philippians, but you see it in the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul has the ability now to spiritually father children. And we're not talking about this Mormon doctrine where you go to all the planets across the universe and populate the galaxy, which I'm not talking about that, get you two, three, four, five, six wives and all that stuff. You do it down there at Utah and bring them in young and all that garbage. I'm talking about leading someone to Jesus Christ and the, and the Holy Spirit gives you actual credit, partial credit for the new birth. Why? Because you become a spiritual father. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, look what Paul says. You know this verse. This depicts the soul winner's crown as well. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? He says in verse 20, for ye are our glory and joy. Why? Well, Paul's led the Thessalonians to Christ. You know one of the happiest men you'll ever meet? Someone who's a soul winner. You know what Spurgeon said? I'll misquote him, but I'll give you the general idea. Spurgeon said, if I wanted to be the happiest man in this world, I would stop being a pastor and I'd start winning souls 24-7 and never do anything else. But the Lord has called me to minister, he said. You want to be a happy man? Go win souls. We don't win souls anymore. We kind of hope they come to church, you know, and we expect them to walk down an aisle. That's a 50s thing. It really is. Stay with me. I know God's, God can work out of the box and in the box and around the box and however he wants to, but people as a rule of thumb, unless they are saints coming to renew their fellowship with the Lord, lost people generally speaking do not walk an aisle. They don't even know what that is. There is not such an outpouring and wooing of the Holy Spirit in 2023 that if a lost person walks in, they're going to go, oh, I need to walk down an altar. They'll be like, why in the world are people up there putting their nose in the carpet? That's what they're going to say. They don't understand that. But you know why Paul's happy? Because he's won people to Jesus Christ. He's fathered spiritual children. He says, for what is our glory and joy? That's the soul winner's crown. You know what Proverbs 11.30 says, don't you? 11.30, he that winneth souls is... So if you don't win souls, <laughs> you're not wise. <laughs> I guess that accounts for the great amount of ignorance in Christianity, amen? All right, Paul was a father of spiritual children. Right there in the verse it says it gave him great joy, gave him glory. How about that? You ever wonder why you might uh, at times, at times, I'm not getting on you, but at times you might get a little bit jealous of maybe how someone looks spiritually or what the Lord's doing with someone spiritually? You know what Paul says? Ye are our glory. When you win souls, they become part of your glory. Bible says over there was in 1 Corinthians 11 that a woman's long hair is her glory. <laughs> now you go win souls, you add to your glory. Why? God's not going to share His glory with you. So down here, you're not to seek your own glory, but when you win souls, you get some glory. Say, what is that? That's a father. You know uh, what makes uh, me happier than the pig in mud? Being around my kids. I was around, man, it was so stinking loud in our house the other day. Everyone was cutting up and carrying on. And I mean, I couldn't even hear myself think. And I'm just sitting there on the couch going, this is great. You know. Had to take a pill. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was done. <laughs> you know, to everyone's, you know, here. But I'm like, man, this is awesome. It really is. Why? I love my kids. 
I like being around my kids. They're my glory. Amen. And Paul says, you're my glory and joy. And you know what? <clears throat> Paul was the father of spiritual children. It gave him great joy down here to be around his spiritual children, and it gave him a crown up there. You see, you're happy down here winning souls. You get up there, just think of the reunion up there. Just think of someone who's maybe gone on before you that you had a part and went into Christ or someone that won you to Christ that went on to glory. You just think about that reunion when you get up there. Man, that's going to be good. Well, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, how about the Corinthians? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians, I'm telling you what, Paul is a spiritual father on many levels. Paul spent the remainder of his ministry after he got unhorsed or unmuled or undonkeyed or however you say that thing on the Damascus Road, fathering spiritual children, taking care of them, passing on instruction, passing biblical tradition, and you, you name it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 15. Now here's a great verse, great verse. Paul says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Ain't that the truth? You seen YouTube lately? I mean, good grief, you got about a million and a half Bible teachers and half of them are idiots. I mean, I speak that charitably to every idiot that's a good fellow, you know. But look at this, you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? Ain't that something? You know what you learn there? Not many people winning souls. Not many people out there trying to bring children in the kingdom of God. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? Yet not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, that now he explains to you how he becomes a father. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through what? The gospel. So there it is. Again, Paul had begotten, that's the term for fathering children, spiritually, many of the Corinthians through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's how you do it. You take the book, and you know what that book is? I'll show you, 1 Peter chapter 1. The Bible that you have in your lap, that Bible likens it to seed. You know that the man has the seed. I don't have to have a biology lesson, but the man has the seed, and that book in your lap is like seed, it says. So you know how you father children? You get the seed out. We okay with saying that from the church house, right? You know it's on that back uh, iron 200-pound track rack. It's solid iron. I had a brother in the Lord in Traverse City make that for us. And the one brother had to put the two-by-sixes on the back side of the wall and it pulled the wall over. But that, that thing's full of tracks. What is that? That's the Word of God. What is the Word of God? It's like seed. Look at 1 Peter 1.23. Being born again not of corruptible seed, Right? That's the physical seed the man has, but of incorruptible seed. So this book in your lap is incorruptible seed, and that's how you're born again. By the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So you take the Word of God, you take the gospel, you take gospel tracts, you take the witness, that's, the words that are in your mouth from this book, and you put it out there, and you put it out there, and you put it out there, and you sow the seed, you sow the seed, you sow the seed, you sow the seed, and if you reap, you won't faint. Amen? And that you'll get a harvest. And Paul says, I've begotten you through the gospel. You've got the Corinthians, the Philippians, and the Thessalonians. But can I just show you more specifically? More specifically speaking, uh, Paul was a father, and he led Timothy to the Lord. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Not only churches full of converts, churches full of people, but individuals. Now, look, your ministry, you might win plenty of souls to Jesus Christ, but there's going to be some that you'd be able to develop more than others. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Look what Paul says. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. One more time, one book over, 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. 2 Timothy 1, 1. I know you just found 1 Timothy, but go one book over, just a couple pages. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Actually, look at verse 2. He says, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Now listen. You know from 1 Timothy chapter 1 that uh, Paul was not Timothy's biological father. He's talking spiritually. He led him to Christ. He had a godly mother. He had a godly grandmother. But guess what? It took Paul showing up at the sea because Timothy's father was a Greek. And obviously he was a heathen man. And he said, hey, Tim, you're going to turn or burn. And he said, I don't want to burn, so I guess I'll turn. And he got saved. Amen. And, uh, but not only Titus, look at Titus. Uh, Timothy, not only Timothy, but Titus. Go to Titus. I'm just showing you a couple specific individuals here. Titus chapter 1, verse 4. Paul, spiritually speaking, was a father. He begat children through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He put the seed out there. Everywhere he went, he was winning souls, passing on information. Titus chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4. He says, To Titus, mine own son, after how? The common faith. He won Titus to Jesus Christ. Uh, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So Paul had his converts whom he had begotten through the gospel. He had spiritual children. And interesting enough, we just talked about Timothy and Titus. He had fathered these children, spiritually speaking, and they had matured enough to the point that they were young men and now they were themselves beginning to father other spiritual. You see how that works? Here's a great thing about winning souls of Jesus Christ. Not saved a soul from hell because they trusted Jesus Christ, but has anyone that you've ever led to Christ, have they ever led someone to Jesus Christ? I'll tell you a quick story. Sorry, I had very little to do with it. I was taking a... a uh, someone from the church back in 2005 to a basketball practice, a deacon's son there. Stopped at Subway, get a sub, you know, you know got to eat fresh, you know what I mean? And all that, and Jared, and I guess Jared's a pervert now, I can't talk about him, and, you know. But anyways, we stopped in there, and uh, we got tracks on us, and we're just full of loving the Lord and on fire for God and trying to do something for the Lord. And, uh, man, I tell you what, don't ask me why. I walked up there, and... And I just, there's a young man behind the counter there. And I said, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And he goes, well, I have no idea. I'm like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> Give him a track. I said, tell you what, I'll be back in two hours, because basketball practice is about two hours. I'll be back in two hours, and we'll talk about it. And out the door we went. Two hours later, we come back. I walk in the door. He's reading that sub. I'm reading the sub, reading the track. <laughs> you, you tell what's on my mind, right? Food. So I walk up there, and I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Richard. I said, hi, Richard. I said, you read that track? He said, I sure did. I said, what do you think? He says, and I'm not kidding. He says, I need to get saved. And I'm telling you what, that felt, I mean, that's like fish jumping out of a bathtub into your arms. And all of a sudden, people start lining up behind me. Why? That's the devil, Right? Now people want to get their subs. I said, let's pray right now. Richard, pray right there with people in line to get saved. 
I'd have to do nothing. He'd read that track five or six times. It had the prayer of salvation on the back. It's not a prayer that saves you, right? You say, what happened? Richard got saved right there. And uh, we spent the next 90 days, good grief. We, it was wild, man. We're at Irons Park preaching on the street, telling people about the Lord, winning people to Jesus Christ in the park. And all of a sudden, he disappears off the scene. Just as 2005, March 16, 2005, 90 days later, I have no idea where he's at. He called me, what, a year ago. He says, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, where in the world have you been? You know where he's been? Saved. <laughs> he says, you know what? Uh, I kind of had to clear my head, and I went out uh, here and there. And he says, you know, I'm at this Bible-believing church in Indiana. Praise the Lord. He texted me uh, two days ago. He says, do you remember the day I got saved? I said, I don't. I mean, I remember, but I don't remember the exact, but I wrote it down in my Bible. <laughs> He said, well, you, he said, next time you, you, I said, that Bible's at church. So anyway, I just sent him a picture today, and he got saved March 16th. You say, what does that mean? Well, sometimes you father children, and you don't always keep good track of them, do you? But you know what that boy's been, he's a man. He's old, like me. But you know what he's been doing? He's been out winning souls. And I don't say that, look, I have nothing to do with it. But you ever win someone to Jesus Christ? And that person ever, ever win someone to Jesus Christ? That's what Paul was doing. He was a father. He was preparing these men. All right, but not only Paul, but then there's Peter. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll give you a few more. First, there's a great responsibility, spiritually speaking, to be a father in this stage of growth. It's kind of like being a physical father. You've got to get up and go to work. Amen? Ain't no one going to go to work for you. Ain't no one going to tell you to go to work. If you don't go to work, you're just a dud. You got to go to work, and when your daughter's car breaks down, you need to go take care of it. it ain't, she ain't going to do it. She had no idea but how to put the key in it and turn it. Amen. And when it makes funny noises, she ain't going to know how to fix it. Why? That's why you're dad. Amen. You say, does it frustrate you? Absolutely not. I love it. Makes me feel useful. Why? Kids are my glory. 1 Peter 5.13, look what Brother Peter says. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. You see, Peter had some converts. You see that? Marcus was one of his converts. Brother Marcus. Ain't that something? And Peter as well as Paul, they're beginning people through the gospel. You stop and think about it in Acts chapter 2. He preaches that message and over 3,000 people get saved. You don't talk about having some babies, man. <laughs> 3,000 in one day. Now that's some preaching. Uh, the most I ever saw saved uh, was when I was at the prison and I saw six, six lifetimers get saved. And they were rough. They were a rough bunch. <laughs> a couple of them had their heads shaved and they had swashed. Their, uh, they were just a rough bunch. But they come down and get on their knees and ask you say, well, did they get saved? They said they did. I wasn't going to question it. I wasn't even going to, I wasn't even going to speak crossly with them. I'd worry about not getting out of there, amen. But, but uh, Peter is preaching 3,000 souls were saved. You get over to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Do it to give you a number. He says a multitude believed. What's a multitude? That's quite a few. I guess it would be safe to say that Peter probably saw 10, at least 10,000 people saved. Well, Peter as well as Paul, they're beginning people through the gospel. Can I give you one more to consider? How about the Apostle John? Consider the Apostle John. Go back to the book of 3 John. 
3rd John. 1st John, 2nd John, and 3rd John. It's right before Jude and Revelation, right at the end of your Bible. Now these men, they were apostles, and they were doing what God wanted them to do, and they were growing spiritually, and when you grow spiritually through the process of time, you're able to father children. That means you win souls. It means you win souls. And we're almost at the end of this thing. I mean, we could preach all day long, but we won't. But the thing that's coming up next is you just don't win them and leave them. Look at Third John uh, chapter. There's only one chapter. Look at verse 4. Look what John says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, history doesn't say that John had a wife. Didn't say he had a bunch of physical babies, but I know he was a soul winner. So he's talking about people that he's led to Christ that are walking in truth. You know what a blessing it is to hear that people that you love, that maybe you led to Christ, like I just told you about that one brother, still going on. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. You know that you, some of y'all had kids, and to find out that they're not all duds, Amen. Then all doing dumb things, you know. Blessing. You know what John says? He says uh, in First John two one, he says, "My little children." Right? First John three eighteen, he says it again, "My little children." Everywhere John went, he had he had children that he had begotten through the gospel. Why? Because at that stage of growth, he was fathering children. Now, here's a consideration I want you to think about. In the biological world, you've heard this. Anyone can father a child, but not everyone's a good father, right? You can do the job biologically, right? They'll say it like this. Well, anyone can be a father, but not everyone can be a dad, right? There's some common sense there. So just because you're able to lead someone to Jesus Christ, do you then disciple them? That's a good question to ask, right? Because that's part of the process. Now look, if, you're on the, if you have a street ministry, I'm going to tell you right now, if you lead someone to Christ, chances are you probably never see them again. I've watched uh, Joan Leaf. Uh, she's in her, what, 80s? She'd lead drunks to the Lord uh, outside of Ross Tavern there. And she'd never see them again. <laughs> but as a rule of thumb, if you win someone to Jesus Christ, you put time in them, you put effort in them, do you try to disciple them? Do you try to bring them along? Listen. Uh, I, all my, I still got some kids at home, and you know my mother knows all about it. But raising kids, that ain't no easy deal. That's a lifelong thing. You just don't have the kid and walk away. See what I mean? I'm trying to get you to think for a second the spiritual stage of being a father. I'm afraid at the judgment seat of Christ that many Christians are going to get to the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to be found guilty of child abandonment. If you have a kid, if you have a baby, and you leave it, you know, out in the front yard in the middle of winter, you're going to go to jail. But a lot of Christians do that to their converts. They leave them out in the cold. They don't provide any warmth. They don't try to take care of them. I'm not getting after you. I'm just trying to preach for just a little bit, help you get the understanding of the, of the stage of growth that uh, you one day should be in. When it comes to fathering children spiritually, don't get offended when I say this, but a lot of times, Bible believers are modern-day Hamites. I want you to think about that. Bible believers often are modern-day Hamites. They win them, and then they leave them. And that's the black community. Don't you tell me I'm racist. I know exactly what I'm talking about. The most confusing day in the black community is Father's Day. 
I'm telling you the truth. I'm not being funny. I'm not telling you a joke. I'm being honest. Because we're going to get to Japheth's problem. He's a Caucasian. I'm going to tell you Japheth's problems in a minute. The Bible believers are like Hamites. They win them and they leave them. And the black man fathers children, and then according to statistics, unless you don't read and you live in a bubble, he leaves. That's history. Well, that's not very nice. I didn't do it. I'm telling you the truth. The Bible believer might be good at winning souls, but a lot of times he's like an African in the care of those children. And you need to take care of that thing. I'll give you something else. I know some of you think I'm racist right now, but I'm not. Not in the sense that you're thinking. Bible believers like modern-day Hamites and the IFB crowd, the fundamental Baptist crowd, they're nothing but modern-day Japhethites. You know why? Japheth has to be first. And Japheth does this. He wins them, then he wets them, and then he what? He wets them. Why? He's got to be number one. He abuses them. That crowd works both ways. The Hamite leaves his kids, and Japheth, he abuses his kids. You see the type? I'm giving you a type and picture. And that crowd is just as dangerous and derelict as Ham was. One crowd wins them and abandons them. The other crowd wins them and then puts them under a religious yoke as soon as they're born. You know, you ought to be like Shem when it comes to winning souls. You say, why? Shem cares about family. In typology, the Christian who fathers children ought to be like a spiritual Shemite. A Shemite, if you ever go over East or deal with Orientals or deal with Asians or deal with whatever, uh, they value family, don't they? There's honor in family. Family takes care of family. I know there's exceptions everywhere. A Shemite values family. A Shemite takes care of family. And a Shemite will take up for their family. And a Shemite will do what it takes to ensure the family is well-trained, well-respected, and well-honored. But you know what? That takes work. And you need to think about that. You say, why? Because Jesus Christ was a Jew. Jesus Christ was a Shemite. He was a Hebrew. If you want to know one of the physiological reasons that this country is in the outhouse is because you have Japheth who's abusing his family and you have Ham who's abandoned his family and you and I, spiritually speaking, need the mindset of a Shemite. You say, what is the mindset of a Shemite? Effort. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. And if you don't sweat, it won't turn out right. That's Shem. Shem will die in war and he'll die with honor because he did the best he could. Japheth will get to the Olympics, and if he's second place, he'll pout all the way home. That's Japheth. And you'll get Shem over there, and he'll do the best he could, and he'll take fifth place, and he'll just stand there with a smile on his face like, man, that's the best thing I ever did in my life. Shemite puts more value upon effort and sacrifice, even if it means death. And I'm just saying, a father has more responsibility than just making babies. That's where I was going with that. You just don't make babies and leave them. When you make babies, you've got to take care of them. Because <laughs> they won't raise themselves. Let me give you a couple of things here that can apply in both directions. This is the last piece here. Spiritual father number four, he takes responsibility for his converts. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Now, here's the important. Here's the meat that goes on the skeleton. It'll be done in five minutes. Colossians 3.21. Colossians 3.21. You're going to be in this stage of growth where your father and spiritual children, you're going to have to learn to take up for them. 
Colossians 3.21. You say, oh, well, I'm not quite there yet. Okay, well, keep growing. Amen. You say, well, uh, I'm still in this stage here. Well, you know what to do. Keep drinking the milk, right? Uh, keep taking the naps. Keep enjoying uh, what you got. You say, I'm just, uh, I'm a little children. All right. Well, keep eating. Keep coming to the dinner table, even if you have to be reminded, right? You say, well, I'm not so little anymore, but I still feel like I'm a child. Okay, well, keep learning, right? Keep learning obedience. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Keep learning to do right. Uh, realize that just because you might be a child of God, you still are known by your doings, right? Even a child is known by his doings. And don't think you can get away with it. Amen. And you say, well, I'm no longer a child or you're a young man. Well, then run in the strength that you got. Keep strengthening yourself spiritually. But one day you're going to get to the stage where you're winning people to Jesus Christ and you can't win them and leave them. You can't win them, win them, and work them. You got to win them and then you got to take up for them. You got to be responsible for them. Colossians 3.21, look at this. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. So, goes not only physically, but spiritually. A father's got to be careful not to discourage his children. And how is that done? Through the wrong provocation. You provoke them. You provoke them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're winding this thing down. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Now, you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you had the fellow messing around with his stepmother. That stuff's wicked as a day is long. Wicked as hell is what it is. But here's the thing. That church, they took care of business and they booted him out. Amen, amen. And that fellow, he got right and he repented. And you know what Paul says? Well, look at it right here. Verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which is inflicted on many. It just wasn't one guy throwing them out. They all got together and said, listen, you're going to keep doing that? You're out of here. And look at verse 7. So that contrarywise, you ought rather to, oh, you mean I can't hold a grudge because he messed up? Forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch. You ever mess up really big? I mean... You ever, I mean, really mess it up? I have. You say, what'd you do? None of your business. Amen. You, you ever mess it up? Aren't you glad when that thing is off your back and you get it right? You had parents that cared about you. They took you to the woodshed sometime. They grounded you. They took away privileges. But when that thing was done, weren't you glad when it was over? Paul's saying you can't be too hard on them. You can't be too hard on your kids. Because if you, all you are is all stick, like we preached this morning in Sunday school, you're all forced, you know, you're going to do exactly what I say, or I'm going to make your life miserable. You know what you do? You raise a rebel. And if you're too soft on them, you raise a thief. That's old preacher wisdom. All right, he says, so that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. If you don't let someone off the mat when they get their lives straightened around, you will discourage them and they'll be, they'll be depressed. And depression is a real thing. I don't care what you think about it. That thing will keep you from serving God. That thing will keep you from going on for Jesus Christ. So Paul's converts in Corinth are dealing with a church discipline issue. It's a serious issue. And Paul says, oh, okay, enough. He's changed. He's repented. He's got things right. Uh, now, listen, forgive him or you'll hurt him. Uh, look at Psalm 103. Two more passages of Scripture. We're done. 
Psalm 103. Hope this is making sense tonight. Hope it sheds some light on the spiritual stage of growth. Psalm 103, verse 13. Now here you got the example of the Lord, your heavenly Father here. And the Bible tells you exactly what the Lord thinks about you. Aren't you glad that when you got saved that he loved you? Aren't you glad that when you trusted him as your Savior that now he likes you? Before you got saved, the Bible says God's angry at the wicked every day. And you got saved and now he loves you and he likes you? That's good. Uh, 103.13, like as the father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You know what I see here? Just real easy stuff. A good father pities his children, pities them. You say, what's that? Well, if you pity your kids, you have compassion on them. I told you the story before I was at this fellow's house, and he was a retired state police, or, uh, retired cop, and his little eight-year-old daughter, she was on the Huffy bike, you know, the Huffy bike. She's just tooling around there, and, uh, you know, got the little tossels coming out of the handlebars. And she, you, should, you didn't wear no helmets back then. And she's, she's going faster and faster, and all of a sudden she just biffs it, just wipes out. And I laughed. It was kind of funny, but guess who didn't laugh? Dad didn't laugh. You know why? He pitied it. In fact, you know, he gave me the old evil eye like, that wasn't funny, and I was a grown man. You say, what would you do? <coughs> you say, well, I straightened up. Why? That man pitied his daughter, pitied his child. That's what the Lord does to you. You see, some of you think that God's over heaven looking just waiting to slap you around when you mess up. That ain't God. See, that's what you would do when someone does you wrong. Amen? But that ain't the Lord. Read it. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That's compassion accompanied with an act of charity. You ever mess the thing up in your Christian life, and next thing you know, the next day or two, the Lord still blesses you? And you're like, and you won't dare say it, but you're like, I didn't deserve that. And you're like, Thank you, Lord. And the Lord's like, love you. That's the Lord. He pities you. And that's what you have to do. So when you see your children going through things, you have sympathy for them. You don't rub it in their face all the time and their sorrow. Just because they wouldn't have tripped, you wouldn't have tripped where they did. That's why you're older. You've got the wisdom of the old man, the old gal now, right? You can see where they can't see. Your kids oftentimes are in a hurry and they're running. Remember, you've already fell. And now you won't fall where they're falling now because you already done fell. You ought to have pity on them. Many fathers are like that. Many fathers these days, spiritually, they're pitiless. They're unsympathetic and they have uh, no empathy. Here's one more. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2 and we're done. Winding it up. Fifth stage of growth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now Paul, he's our apostle. He says this in verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. So here Paul, he exhorts them, right? That's encouragement. He comforts them. And he charges them. He's given them instruction. He's given them, hey, look, you better take care of this. Hey, you better do this. He's, he's charging his spiritual children. Not just because he's a nice guy. 
But look at verse 12. I want you to see why this father is doing this to his children. Here's the reason. You see his motive. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So you exhort, you comfort, and you charge your spiritual children so they would end up in a much better place at the judgment seat of Christ. You see that? Listen, if you're saved, listen to me now. If you're saved, every one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine whether we go to heaven. If you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. But you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards or a lack thereof. And why Paul is doing what he's doing is because he's a good father and he wants to make sure that his converts stand before the Lord of the judgment seat of Christ and are able down here now to develop the long look and stand and walk worthy of that very thing. And as a spiritual father, you know what you can do? You can help your spiritual children to develop the long look. You help them get their eyes off this world down here and you put it on Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. And that's what Paul is trying to teach him to do. Don't look down here. Look up there. It's okay. I know you fell over and busted your head open the other day, but it's all right. I'm right here. I'm right by it. It's going to be all right. Hey, listen, you messed up here next time. You might consider that if you're going to go into that room, you've got to have the light on when you go in there. Are you going to step on the bucket of Legos you left off? And that's going to hurt. All right, so this spiritual stage of growth is more than just you going out and winning souls every now and then, putting another notch in your belt. It has to do with, number one, attaining a full knowledge of Him through years and years of faithful service. Number two, passing down things to your spiritual children. Number three, even having the ability to father spiritual children. And then last but not least, taking up and taking responsibility for those children that the Lord gives you partial credit for uh, uh, the new birth. And that'll wrap up that last stage, or the fifth stage, which is fathers. And Lord willing, we'll pick up elders next week, the sixth stage. Okay. Why don't you stand? We'll get out of here.